0: Lord Jesus, um, I just want to thank you that we get to worship together. Uh, Lord, I thank you for all the different ways that you sustain us and Uh, Most importantly right now, God, as we open up your word, I thank you for the way you sustain us through your word, that you are with us. And God, we pray that you would be with us now. Be with me, that my words wouldn't be my own. Uh, God, that each and every word that comes out of my mouth would either be directly from your word or it would shine light on your word, that we might learn your wisdom and your truth for the times that we're living in right now, that we might be better examples of your light And experience that light in us as we bring glory to your name. And all we do, it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. If you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to open it up with me or the Bible app. We're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 12. That's where our verses for today are coming from. But we're going to start in chapter 11 because we're going to talk about the context of what it is that we're studying first. Uh, But if it's your first time joining us for this series, it's our second week in a new series we're calling We Need to Talk. And uh, each week of this series, we're going to be tackling a different topic that uniquely speaks... Into the world that we're living in right now. There's just so much division and sadness and anger and unrest. And, and so we're asking the question where do we go with all of it? And last week, if you missed it, I really want to encourage you to go online and listen because we talked about how Jesus navigated the treacherous waters of politics and it's something that's on our hearts and minds causing lots of stress and division and anxiety and Jesus has a higher way for us to live and so if you miss that go online watch it listen to it and join us that way but this week our our topic is God's big shoulders or in one word it's lament we're going to talk today about lament Uh, despite there being uh, an entire book in the Bible called lament the word lament is actually pretty sparse, I think, in a lot of our churches today. I'm not sure that, that most people get up on Sunday morning and think to themselves, I hope we lament about something in church today. And yet, as we go through seasons like we're all experiencing right now, we begin to realize that, that we need to know how to apply our faith to times like this. That, that if we don't know how to apply our faith to the seasons that are less than joyful, to the the questions there are no easy answers for, or the moments when maybe we know the answer and we just don't like it. If we don't know how to apply our faith in those moments, then our faith can grow pretty thin quickly. For some, all it takes is a tragedy. All it takes is, is broken plans, mistakes, a sin, a loss, a death, a global pandemic to throw one's faith out the window. But see, then there's others, other people who seem to find comfort in their faith, and they seem to have their faith even grow stronger in the midst of the same experiences. And so so what's the difference? what's the difference between the two? Do do those who find strength in their faith, do they have some kind of a a super magical faith that the rest of us don't have? Or or are they just wired to be more optimistic? Are they those, those glass half full kind of people that the rest of us get frustrated with when the times are difficult? Well, the answer is no to both, and it's actually not that simple. So to dive into this, we're going to get into to God's word in our reading today. Our scripture comes from 2 Samuel, and the context is it's the story of King David. We talked a lot about King David this summer, and in this moment we find ourselves in a really pretty tragic chapter of King David's life. He's made some pretty terrible choices, and because of that, there are some terrible consequences. David's the, the king over the ancient nation of Israel. He's, he's a man of power. He's a man of success. He's the commander-in-chief of, of a mighty and massive military force. His, his people have found success over their enemies. And so what this has meant for David is that, that David has found favor with people, and he's also found favor with God. But as as we often see, with great power comes great temptation, and the temptation is to use it for your own selfish purposes. And we saw it then and we see it now that once you start traveling down that path of destruction, it's almost impossible without an act of God for it to to stop, And so, so if we go to the chapter before the, the meat of what we're going to study today, it's 2 Samuel 11. Uh, we find ourselves at a time where Israel's troops are out at war, but David is back in the capital city of Jerusalem. And he's hanging out on his rooftop one night, and a couple of doors down he sees on the roof of another house the wife of one of his army generals, his name is Uriah, and his wife's name is Bath. Sheba. And so he sends someone to get her for him, and later she becomes pregnant. It was a political scandal, and unfortunately, David does what so many others do, and he tries everything he can to cover it up. He he tried to get uh, Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, to, to come home from war so that hopefully everybody would think it was just his kid when nine months later she had a child, but the problem was when he came home, he wouldn't even sleep in the same bed as his wife because his heart was with the men he was in charge of that were still fighting. And so David, frustrated that this didn't 't work, decided instead to put Uriah on the front lines with his men, knowing that ultimately he would be killed. And so what we have here is we've got infidelity, we've got deception, we've got murder, and it's all at the hands of a king, of God's holy people. And I, I've got to tell you the context of all of this because David is about to lament over all of these things. He's not showing us in this example a good example of how we're called to live. He's not showing us a good example of leadership. What he's going to show us is how to pray when life is disappointing. He's going to show us how to have hope and faith when your grief is more than you can bear. He's going to show us how to have faith in God when you're caught in your guilt and your mistakes. And and that's why we're studying this story because so many of us, find ourselves in moments like that right now, don't we? It's often been said about this particular season that we're living in that that it's kind of like an amplifier, right? The, the, the things that we were already afraid of, the, the fears and our guilt, it's been amplified by the anxiety of the world that we're living in right now. The things that we used to be able to neatly cover up have been exposed for so many of us. They've been brought to the surface. And, and we're all walking around that way. And that's why life looks so ugly right now. It's because we're walking around with our open wounds. And, and you know what happens when, when you have a wound and, and somebody touches an open wound. It hurts. It hurts even if they just brush up against it. It's, it's why people act ugly. It's, it's why they overreact. But what if I told you that, that the pain and the wounds that we walk around with, that, that your pain and mine and the depths of our greatest fears are at the very same time God's opportunity. It's, it's His hand knocking on the door of our hearts. What if I told you that your fears and your pains are God's hand knocking on the door of our hearts, that that when you and I overreact to something, when we're offended by something, when somebody pokes their finger deep into our deepest wounds, what if we can listen hard enough and hear God's voice speaking in the midst of it? See, that's what we're going to see. God is going to do that for David, and he's going to do it for David through a prophet named Nathan. Now, Now, Nathan tells David a story. And the story stings for David because it's really personal. Even though he doesn't realize it right away, you're going to see that God is using the story to knock on David's heart and to really bring to the surface the wounds that have happened because of what he's done wrong with Bathsheba. So take a look at this, 2 Samuel chapter 12, beginning at verse 1. The Lord sent Nathan to David. And when he came to him, he said, There were two men... In a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich, had a, the rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it, and, he, and it grew up with him and his children. This, this little lamb shared his food and drank from his cup and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now, a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, the rich man took the ewe lamb from the poor man and prepared that for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Now you see the irony in David's response, don't you? I mean, David is now someone who has multiple wives and concubines, and used his power and his might and his privilege to take advantage of poor Uriah, who had one wife, Bathsheba. He took advantage of her, and just like the rich man, he took her. Just like the rich man took the lamb. And the truth is, actually, what David has done is far worse, I think you would agree, and so David is ready to kill this man who has taken this lamb and make him pay back four times as much for what he did. And in the context of David's life, wouldn't you say, that's a slight overreaction to the situation. I'm not saying the rich man's a good guy. I'm not saying he shouldn't be punished. But, but you look at that in the context of what David has just done, and you see the way he overreacts, and you think to yourself, maybe because God is knocking on his heart. Maybe because the story is reminding him of the wounds that are still very much open that he's carrying around everywhere he goes. The the guilt and the anger that he hasn't dealt with yet. And, And we know that's what God is using the story for because Nathan responds to David by saying 2 Samuel 12. It says, Nathan said to David, you are the man. It's just a story. You are the man. You're the rich man. And then he outlines for David the way that he's done the exact same thing. And when Nathan is finished explaining it, David responds very simply, verse 13, by saying to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. I have sinned against the Lord. And we're going to start to learn now what it looks like to lament. We're going to learn from David in the midst of all of this pain and the destruction that's going to come, what it looks like to lament. And the first thing that we learn is that lament begins by owning the ugly truth. Lament begins by owning the ugly truth. David is ready to own what it is that he did. And immediately after, he prays. the same thing. If you look at Psalm 51, and, and we see God's grace in the midst of all of this, when he says, I have sinned against the Lord, Nathan's reply is, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. In other words, the thing that instinctively David knew should be the consequence. And you know he knew that because he was ready to lay it down on the rich man, right? You should die for this, right? He instinctively knows that this is the consequence of his sin. But because God is a God of mercy and grace, he says through Nathan that David will be spared. And so David and Bathsheba lived happily ever after the end. (laughs) Is that the end of the story? No, You probably know that, whether you know the story or not. See, just because you own the ugly truth, doesn't, just because you you, you bring it before God with a broken and humble heart doesn't mean that there aren't still real consequences on this side of heaven for our mistakes. In verse 14, Nathan starts to outline what those are going to look like. He says, Because by doing this you have shown utter contempt for the Lord, the Son born to you will die. This child isn't going to survive. And it it kind of mirrors, right, What's, what's going to happen when the new David comes, when Jesus comes, right? God the Father is going to watch his son die for the sins of others. See, in the same way David's son is going to die because of nothing his child has done, but because of him, and so what does David do in the midst of knowing this? Does he, does he try to cover it up? Does he try to make excuses? Does he, does he self-medicate the horror of that moment? Does he deny the truth? And the answer is no to all of those. What he does is he laments. He laments. He owns the ugly truth. Not only the circumstances of what has happened, but he also owns his feelings. Take a look at at verse 15. After Nathan went home, the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife had borne to David, and he became ill. David pleaded with God for the child. He fasted. He spent nights lying in sackcloth on the ground. The elders of his household stood beside him to get him up from the ground, but he refused and he would not eat any food with them. See, what happened here was David allowed the full depth of his despair to be poured out before God as he watches his son Pass away before his eyes. Not only did he cry out in pain, but he also cried out in, in what he had hoped himself for. He hoped that, in spite of what Nathan said, his son might live. And it brings us to the next thing that we learn about lament from David: is that lament is unfiltered prayer to God. Lament is unfiltered prayer to God. Now, I titled this sermon, God's Big Shoulders. And the reason why is because I know that for so many of us, we... We filter our prayers before God. We 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 know that there's just we think we know that there's these things that that we say to ourselves or that we think or that we feel that that for some reason we dare not speak them to God. And and for some of us we we don't because because maybe we think we're gonna make God angry or or maybe we think that He's too busy for us or or maybe maybe we think that 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 He already knows what's about to happen. And so so what's the point. But I want you to notice something here. In in David's lament, he doesn't allow for any of those circumstances to get in the way of his crying out to God. He lays it all out there, so much so that the people that are around him are afraid to even tell him when the child passes away. Look at verse 18. It says, on the seventh day, the child died. David's attendants were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they thought, while the child was still living, he wouldn't listen to us when we spoke to him. How can we now tell him that the child is dead? He may do something desperate. David noticed that his attendants were whispering among themselves, and he realized the child was dead. Is the child dead, he asked. Yes, they replied, he is dead. Then David got up from the ground After he washed, he put on lotions and changed his clothes. He went into the house of the Lord and he worshiped. Then he went to his own house and at his request they served him food and he ate. The third thing we learn about lament from David is to lament is to worship. To lament is to worship. After David confronts, or Nathan confronts David about his sin, and he was lamenting to God about his guilt. There's this prayer I mentioned it a few minutes ago. It's, it's in the book of Psalms, Psalm 51. You can read it to see just how he lamented and prayed over his own mistakes. And in verse 17 of that prayer, David says this: He says, My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. See, God wants us to worship him. God wants us to worship him. But see, that doesn't mean that he wants us to worship him as something or someone that we're not. Jesus said the same thing in the story of the Samaritan woman at the well. You probably know the story we tell it at every pizza with the pastor when you're new to St. John's. It's in John chapter 4 and it's this awkward encounter uh, because it's it's this this interaction between Jesus and this woman and and she's a Samaritan and he's a Jew and they can't stand each other and and it looks weird if a a guy and a girl are, are talking in the middle of the day alone like they are and on top of all of that what makes it the most awkward is that this woman is known in her community as as a woman who's had a lot of husbands. She's known for her mistakes. She's known for her sin. And Jesus in this conversation makes it clear to her that he knows everything about her. And and she realizes that if he knows everything he knows he must be some kind of a prophet. And, And she says as much and then after that she brings up worship. And she brings up how those Samaritans don't have a place to worship because they're not Jews. They they don't have other ducks in a row. They can't go and worship at the temple. They can't worship the way the others do. And Jesus replies and says, A time is coming. A time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. A time will come when true worshipers, true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. What kinds of people does the Father want to worship Him? People who tell the truth. People who worship in the truth. People who, when they're singing, if they feel overwhelmed with joy, that they'll allow that to be expressed. Those who, when they they enter into the threshold of the sanctuary, if they're overwhelmed and burdened with grief, that they will find themselves crying. And hear me, if God's shoulders are, are big enough to carry the horror of David's mistakes and the consequences in losing a child. If, if God's shoulders are, are broad enough to carry the mistakes and the, and the shame of the Samaritan woman, then God's shoulders are big enough to carry whatever it is you bring before him in worship as well. And I believe that if God is doing anything in this moment that we're living in right now, it is that he is bringing us to a place where we can worship him in spirit and in truth. He's calling and drawing us in his presence to worship him in truth. And we can bring our truth before God no matter how ugly it is. No matter how angry we are, no matter how fearful we become, because the last thing, or the second to last thing, I should say, that we learn about lament is that unlike complaining, that's not what we're doing, unlike complaining, lament has a purpose. Lament has a purpose. And and, and check out what that is in 2 Samuel 12, 21. David's attendants asked him, why are you acting this way? While the child was alive, you fasted and wept. But now that the child is dead, you get up and eat? Remember, he had just been worshiping, and he had them feed him. Verse 22, he answered, While the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. I thought, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me, and let the child live. See, the attendants were afraid of how David would react when his son died because they didn't understand the purpose of his lament. He prayed because he knows that God is a God of grace. And so he hoped in his heart until until the child actually breathed his last breath that maybe, just maybe, the child would live. See, David is is like like the cancer patient that has gotten a a terminal diagnosis but, but doesn't let that allow them to lose hope and still prays for a miracle of healing. David was like, like, like my kids, who every single night when we pray, pray that God will just take the coronavirus away, that we'll wake up in the morning and it'll just be gone. Uh, when we pray those prayers, will they happen? Maybe. I mean, certainly there are examples in God's word of times where these things happen, and, and maybe they won't. But either way, it's okay, because lament is not about controlling the outcome. When we lament in our prayers to God, it's not about controlling what happens. It's about inviting God into what is. It's not controlling the outcome. It's about inviting God into what is. And God's word promises. God's word promises that what is has a purpose, whether the outcome is what you're looking for or not. And so as we lament and we share the truth, the brutal, honest truth about where we are when we come before God in prayer, what it's doing is it's allowing God to enter into the right now that we are living in, to allow God to love us in that moment and use the moment we're living in to lead us to the hope of eternal life. See, David stopped fasting and ate after his child died, not because he wasn't still terribly heartbroken, but because, verse 23, he said, Now that he is dead, why should I go on fasting? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. See, David knows that his God is the God of the resurrection which shows us the last thing we learn about lament from David, and that is that to lament is to hope. To lament is to hope. Because David knew that someday he would see his son again. To lament is to hope that if I put my situation, my emotions, my pain, my mistakes, my anger into the hands of of a mighty God of grace and mercy, even if I don't get the answers I want, I will know that God isn't finished yet. And that's my prayer for you. That we would all know that in the midst of whatever it is that we're facing in this world, in this moment today, that God is not finished yet. That if this moment brings the highest of highs, they are nothing in comparison to the eternal life that God has promised to those who believe and find hope in his name. And if we find ourselves in the lowest of lows, then we know that if our God can conquer death, can he not conquer all things? And if he can conquer all things on our behalf, then why don't we take it to him in prayer? And let's do that together right now. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that your presence with us is a reminder that we are never alone in what we go through. And that isn't just the things that we choose to bring before you, but your spirit dwells inside of us. Your word says that you give us a new heart. And because you are in every fiber of our being, you know when we're angry. You know when we're scared. You know when we think horrible thoughts. You know every mistake, every guilt, every shame, every open wound. Lord God, you know. Jesus, you know when we're disappointed. And there's so many of us right now who are disappointed in the world and in the reality in which we live. Lord God, may we bring that before you. Will you hear us as we lament? Lord God, there's so many of us who are afraid of so many different things. And we learned months ago and we did a sermon series on fear that our fears are your opportunity to show us your love. And so can we bring our fears before you and not pretend like we're not afraid, knowing that it's an opportunity for you then to show us your love, to wrap your arms around us. Lord God, there's many of us that are grieving great loss right now, loss of routines, Loss of comfort, loss of security, loss of relationships, loss of health. And so, God, can we bring those things before you? Will you hear our voices as we grieve? And may we be like David as we grieve that we would not grieve as those who have no hope. Because just as he knew that he would see his son again, we know that you have gone to prepare a place for us. A place that we will enter into with your gentle hand, wiping each and every one of our tears, and a promise that until that day comes, you will use every circumstance in our life, every mistake, every joy, every blessing. And so God, help us to to develop a prayer language of lament. Help us to be the people that the Father strives to worship him, people who worship in spirit and in truth. Help us to trust that your shoulders are broad enough to carry the truth of our lives now and forevermore. And it is in your name that we can say these things and that we can pray.